This is the Visible Hand, Special Job Market Edition. My name is Jordi Blanes y Vidal. My guest today is Martin Smith, who is a PhD student and job market candidate at the Department of Economics, Vanderbilt University. Today we're going to talk about his job market paper, A Penny for Your Thoughts, joined with Walker Hanlon, Stefan Heblick, and Ferdinando Monte. Martin, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Jordi. Thanks for having me. Martin, your paper studies the effect of communication costs on the exchange of ideas and on innovation. Before we go into the details of what your paper does, could you describe the existing literature looking at how communication costs affect innovation, exchange of ideas, and maybe even more broadly, just economic performance? Yeah, so there are like four different lines of research, I would say, that are relevant to us. So the closest is um, knowledge access and innovation. So basically, communication costs are the most important component of access costs. And people have done studies, also typically historical studies, on where they see how knowledge access um, affects innovation. So examples are Um, a paper by Iaria, Schwartz and Waldinger, and Biasi and Moser, for example. What do Iaria, Schwartz and Waldinger do? What they do is basically during World War I, Allied scientists and German scientists could meet at conferences because the countries were at war with each other. And that had like huge negative effects on scientific productivity for both groups, but more for the German scientists. So that's one way where the knowledge exchange happens in person, not um, by a remote technology. And I think what, what is special to our case is, is that we really can isolate the change or the effect of a change in a single access technology. That, that's the main point. So the idea here would be that uh, in Iaria, Schulz and Waldinger, you know, during the First World War, these uh, scientists in, in what became two different blocks couldn't meet at all. Uh, so that would be like the equivalent of communication costs going to infinity, right? Exactly. As you said, there is no access, right? So there's not enough money in the world that you can pay to access that knowledge. Obviously, these are like extreme situations. Most other situations will fall somewhere below infinity. Yeah, I think not even not even that is like completely infinity. They could still privately maybe find a way around. I don't know. What other body of work has studied the effect of communication on economic performance? There's when the United Kingdom and the United States became, or when the states and the kingdom became united by Claudia Steinwender, that paper about the undersea cable. That's basically. Also using knowledge exchange, but it's looking at trade outcomes. So and, and the difference to our paper in that case is that we look specifically at, inno at innovation, which I think is very important because uh, economic growth in most advanced economies depends on that. So here, the sign of the effect is not really in doubt, correct? Like we will expect that lower communication costs are not going to harm the exchange of ideas or harm innovation, right? In fact, we will expect that they benefit the exchange of ideas, they benefit the inno innovation. If you were to have a study in which the effect is zero, um, mm -hmm. the, the reaction might be, well, maybe there is something wrong with this study. Uh, for instance, maybe there is not enough power to detect the effects or there's out of measurement error or you know things like that. 
we expect that really in any study that we do, the effect is going to be bigger or smaller, but positive. I mean, or I guess in this case, negative in that lower communication cost is associated with more innovation. What is typically the objective of these type of studies? Is it to uh, document this thing that we expected that we knew, but to confirm that we know it? Or is it to like estimate elasticities or to interpret historical uh, episodes in a new light? What are we trying to accomplish here typically? So I think it's basically providing a statistical proof of a very like straightforward relationship. But to the best of my knowledge, our paper is the first empirical study with a clean identification of the effect of a communication cost reduction on innovation. And we look at two different outcomes, technological innovation and scientific innovation, and we measure technological innovation with patents and scientific innovation with citations in the leading academic journal of the time, the Philosophical Transactions of the Royal Society of London. Long story short, the main idea is that it's the first time we actually can pin that down. That's the main contribution. So we were just talking about a couple of uh, earlier papers who look at like historical episodes. You were uh, talking about uh, Yaria Source and Baldinger, uh, also another paper about the undersea cables between the UK uh, and the US. You are also going to study a historical episode. Can you uh, tell us what is it that happened in the UK in the 19th century to decrease the communication costs between different areas of the UK? Well, so in 1840, the Uniform Penny Post was introduced, and that meant a huge change in the way people communicated at the time. So before the reform, the postage of a letter did not only depend on the number of sheets of paper in the letter or the weight of the letter, it also depended on the distance of transmission, so how far the letter traveled. So it made a huge difference whether you sent a letter from a London suburb to the city of London that typically would have cost you two or three pence, or whether you sent that exact same letter from London to Edinburgh, that would have cost you 13 and a half pence. And what the reform then did is basically introduce a flat rate for a single letter of one penny. That's why it's called the uniform penny post. So so we have that variation between pairs of post towns. Um, they vary depending on the distance that the cost varies. And that variation completely goes away in the post period, basically after the reform is introduced. So every area of London, uh, sorry, of the UK was treated by this reform, but different areas uh, were treated differently, right? Like if I am in the middle of Northern Scotland, writing almost anywhere is going to be super expensive. Whereas if I'm in London, the average letter that I want to send is going to be uh, much cheaper, right? So this is a shock that happened everywhere, but that affected different, I guess, different inventors or scientists that are located in different areas uh, in different ways. This is a type of shock that you study here. Exactly, yes. Is there any notion that these things uh, were important at the time? That is, if they told me now, you know, Jordi, fortunately, sending a letter to Edinburgh has gone down from 20p to 5p, I wouldn't necessarily... <laughs> Be you know more yeah. you know more likely to send letters or to exchange ideas and all. Obviously, I have email and other technology. They didn't have email or other technology. But is there a notion that the the price of this postage was like binding a binding constraint for these type of people that they would have liked to send more letters uh, if it was if it had been cheaper and so on? Yeah. 
So it was very expensive. So the the average guy at that time only made about 12 pence. So basically just sending that one letter from London to Edinburgh would have cost more than the average guy made on a day. And well, if we want to quickly brush over <laughs> income inequality, a professor at the time made about 10 times as much as the average guy. So that means if we were to translate that into like our time now, that means you would, whatever you get paid per day, that's how much 10 emails will cost you. So basically, you, once you're out of your 10 emails, um, that's it. Or you could say it. So basically, you have the choice between sending 10 emails or hiring a new professor, like an extra professor. That's that's. I think that's huge, the difference. So this is a, a shock that happened to different areas differently. But obviously, the pre-1840 period will be different from the post-1840 period, not just in how much it costs to send a letter, but also um, in different ways, because England, Great Britain, was being transformed dramatically at the time. Right, like a, you, you only have to read like a couple of of novels set in the period to see like the transformation was really dramatic. What is here the main type of a potentially confounding uh, factor that generates like a threat to identifying this variation in the decrease in communication costs? Yeah. So the only other thing that people could do besides sending letters to communicate is essentially travel. And we control for all of that. And what changed, um, basically, especially in um, the eight, 1840s and towards the end, especially towards the end of the 1840s, is of course the expansion of the railways. But we control for that. And some people may be concerned about the telegraph, but the telegraph was not used commercially until much later. So it was only sometimes already, like towards the end of our study period, used as a signaling device for the railroads. So we basically built a, a multimodal network model that has all different ways of transportation for England and Wales. And we use that to control for travel costs. So what about things like access to newspapers, right? I, I guess that newspapers are also a communication technology, right? So it's not that this will be like, you know, a completely different type of mechanism, but it wouldn't be the type of communication technology that has two scientists sending letters to each other. Is it possible that over time, access to newspaper, I don't know what the name was at the time, bulletins, newspapers at the time in rural areas was improving dramatically and therefore they were better able to figure out what was going on in the rest of the country? Yes, yeah, so to some extent we see that, but it's in size very small compared to um, just a huge volume increase in letters. So the rate for newspapers also um, got lowered. It, it was not as significant of a reduction as it was for letters, but it's just there's so few newspapers that are being sent out compared to, to a huge amount of letters that we said we focus on the letters. And I think so that's the, that's the main mechanism, I think, is really, especially having a, a regular correspondence with other people in the same field. Um, and because of that reform, basically, you could correspond with more people that were further away, or you could um, correspond more frequently. And especially, like you said, the rural areas were the ones that benefited the most from it. So, so we see to some extent that the newspapers spread more easily there. But it's not, it's not something that is like significant or in, in, in the like 
meaningful in an economic sense. Can you give us a feel about the type of data that you collected for this study? So we have two data sets. We look at two outcomes. Let me start with the citation data set because that's the, that's the longer part. So <clears throat> this is a bilateral data set. So everything's at the post-town level, but we started with citations in the leading academic journal of the time, the Philosophical Transactions of the Royal Society of London. And we went through every single article from 1830 to 1849 and looked at the citations. And these are often just the last names of um, professors or other researchers. And we use the content around the citation and the, that last name to first identify who that person is, the cited person, and then also locate, geolocate that person. And we did that for all these articles. And it, yeah, it was, we had 13 RAs and it took like more than a year. So it was a bit of an effort. So, so a citation, will be like a citation takes place nowadays, right? It is a reference to the work of some other scientist in a, in a paper in an academic journal. The difference, as you say, is that they are not citing an earlier article, but instead they are citing a specific person, just because maybe the work of that person was not codified in a way that was particularly well-structured or not. So they were just referring to them by, uh, by surname. And you collect like these uh, these citations. This is the main proxy for these knowledge flows, correct? Like the idea is yeah. that if I am citing you and you are in uh, in uh, Northern Scotland, that must mean that I somehow got to know about your work uh, in a way that I may not have been able to know about it before the introduction of the Penny Post. Yeah, that, that's exactly the idea. What is the other uh, data set? The other data set is patent data. And unfortunately, there are no patent citation data for that time. So we just have patents. And we got that from Nuvolari and Tartari. And with that data set, we had to uh, first get rid of all the patent agents. And the patent agents are essentially like the patent lawyers today. So they're not the inventors, but their name is on it. In that case, their name is on the patent. So we got rid of them and then we had to geocode the locations of all the inventors. So that was that like somewhat longer task. Yeah. So this is with, I mean, you're telling me the data with respect to the dependent variables in the regression, right? Because you are going to put citations and patents on the left-hand side. That's the innovation or knowledge exchange. On the right-hand side, you are going to have this decreasing communication cost or using the shock that you were explaining earlier, how do you know what the shock to this postage cost was in different areas of the country? It's distance-based. So there's a, a schedule, and depending on the distance of the postal route between two places, that would determine the postage that you would have to pay for sending a letter from post town A to post town B. And there are also like tables for that, but it's easier with the distance. So this is not, the, just to emphasize, this is not as the crow flies. This is not like a, a line on a map. Mm -hmm. This is a, yeah. the, the distance via the roads or canals or, you know. The, yeah, yeah, the thing is, it's not, even, it's not even the roads. It's specific roads. It's only postal roads. So there are, of course, other roads as well. So we had to really make sure that we just use exactly the post roads. So typically, when somebody sends me a letter... The postman will come and drop it, you know, under my door. Was this also the case at the time? Depends on where you live. 
if you lived in London, for example, you could even get three deliveries per day. So very convenient. But if you if you lived in a countryside, then you probably would have to go to the local post office and pick up your mail every week or so. So it was a bit slower. What type of inventors or scientists locate themselves in the middle of rural Scotland? Just as a, you know, so that would that would seem like a prior to the arrival of the penny post. That would be like a particularly inconvenient place to try to locate you know your your scientific work yeah i i would agree i i think those were maybe scientists who didn't want to become scientists in, in the first place and then just ended up discovering something or became interested in that so yeah and it's it's hard to explain so i i basically looked at all the biographies or almost all the biographies of of the people in the sample And sometimes uh, it's just basically, it's like people attract other people. So if there's an editor, for example, that is like very influential and he has a good research output, then other people are okay with moving closer to him in the remote area. So these scientists, they were not based, they were not like a clustered around universities, say like, I don't know, in Durham or Newcastle or something. They, they will often be sitting by themselves in a specific post town. Uh, yeah, so we have way less universities at the time than we have now. So we have, for example, King's College, University College, those were around already, but we don't have like every single university that you have in the UK. So it's, it's a lot, lot fewer universities. And it was often common that even, and, and that kind of makes our estimate a lower bound, It was kind of common for like wealthy people to do science as a hobby. And so they would sit in their castles and uh, like far out and they would basically just discover, try to discover new things and communicate. You are going to uh, run regressions that are like uh, conceptually, you know, uh, quite easy to understand. As we said, you're going to put dependent variables such as knowledge exchange, citations and the innovation patterns on the left hand side. And the decrease in communication, in this case, postage costs on the right-hand side. But before that, you have an initial regression establishing that the cost of postage prior to the reform in, in 1840 was indeed a binding constraint to the sending of the letters. How do you do that? Well, so the problem in case of the patent data is that we don't have patent citations. So that means we don't have bilateral data. So we somehow have to break that information down to that dimension that we have, which is the post town level. So from pairs of post towns, we have to bring it down to just post towns. And that's why we calculate the letter market access measure. And so we use data on letter flows to estimate certain elasticities and then use those elasticities in our letter market access estimation. What is a letter mar market access? So it's kind of like a regular market access measure. So market access means basically the population weighted travel cost to every other place um, from your town. So and if I am selling something, I can obviously sell it in my own town. I cannot send it in New Zealand because New Zealand is at the other side of the world. But, you know, in places that are relatively close by, I can sell it more or less depending on travel costs there. Therefore, the market access is how big the cities are that around me weighted by the distance or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And, and instead of distance, we just used the travel costs or the actual network. Uh, yes, yes. 
so so this is something where I mean, are you the first ones who invented this concept? No, of course not. Uh, that, that's um, Donaldson and Hornbeck, that, that seminal paper. I think by now we can call it seminal. So our our contribution on that in that area is just the letter market access measure. So we have we even control for regular market access and the regressions, but we construct a letter market access measure to um, figure out what the letter market access from each poston was at the time. So it it works very similar to the regular market access measure I just explained. The difference is just that we use the cost of letters of sending letters instead of the, the travel cost or freight cost. Sure. So just just to be clear, going back to the, the the initial market access, we just mentioned, you know, this is constructed by looking at the the, the size of the cities that are relatively close by, weighted by how close by to where I am they are. There are some elasticities there, right? That that mm-hmm. tells me how you know how important it is that they are far away or close or close by. These are the elasticities that you estimate. We estimate a couple. So we estimate um, trade costs. We estimate what the elasticity on the distance is and the elasticity on population. And then we also estimate the elasticity of, of the market access measure that we use as a control. All this as an objective to put that as a control for the later regression in which we will need to control for, for that when we put patents on the left-hand side, correct? Exactly, yes. I was mentioning, I mean, I was asking you earlier about an initial regression establishing that the cost of postage prior to the reform was a binding constraint to the sending of letters. You told me earlier, yes, the salary of a professor was such that if that professor was sending 10 letters per month to Edinburgh, the salary will be wiped out, you know, but upper day. But we will need to confirm this in the data, correct? That whenever the postage cost went down, the volume went up, right? How, how do we do that? Yeah, so that's kind of a first stage that you're describing. That's exactly what we're doing. In that case, the dependent variable is the letter volume. And on the right-hand side is the cost change and other things that we have to control for. That's where we get the elasticities from. How does that regression work? So there are two extra data sets that I have to talk about for that to make sense. So you can imagine that uh, the postage was essentially um, a step. If you, if you plot distance and postage, postage on the y-axis, distance on the x-axis, then it kind of looks like a step function. Um, so the further away you go, the more expensive it gets. And we, so what we do is we look within the cost bins to back out the effect of distance, and we look within the distance bins to figure out what the effect of cost is. Is this equivalent to regression discontinuity? No, like we would not have the numbers for that, I think. So no, it's just making sense of this very particular setting that we have. So you have a, a strict cutoff. So basically at 100 miles, if it's less than 100 miles, is it's, I think, nine pence. Maybe I'm wrong, but it's a certain number. And then from 100 onwards, you have, it's a penny more. So you have that discontinuity. And then you have the same in in distance as well. And that's how it essentially works. So let me see whether I understand this. Obviously, the the, the travel cost in person, they are increasing in distance, right? Like if if I am further away from where another inventor is and I want to visit him, you know, I have to take the stay coach or whatever, you know, that's going to be more or less costly, okay? Mm -hmm. 
so that's that's a problem because you want to isolate the cost of sending a letter to the other inventor, and that's also increasing with distance. You know, it's it's increasing in a slightly different way, but it, but that's a problem, right? And now you're saying that we are exploiting the fact that whereas the the travel cost can be regarded as broadly proportional to distance, the postage cost is not proportional in the sense that it is a step function. That is, if I live uh, 99 kilometers away through these postal routes and everything from the, the other inventor, it costs nine pence to send a letter. But if I live just uh, 100 kilometers away, just one more, then it costs mm-hmm. 15 pence or whatever. There's a discontinuity there, right? Exactly. And it's uh, especially for lower distances, you, you have like bigger jumps. Bigger, bigger uh, discontinuities there. And then you take only the towns that are relatively close to one of these discontinuities. And then controlling for distance in one way or another, you see that being on the left side or on the right side of that uh, discontinuity does have an effect on how many letters I'm sending. Yes. So in, in spirit, this will be similar to regression discontinuity, right? Yeah, it's exactly the same thing. The, it's just that we don't have, we don't do any kernel estimation and have like a bandwidth and like 5,000 observations on the left and right that we can use. I mean, this is just to see that this is like binding, right? That that I am sending less letters than I would like to just because I happen to be on the wrong side of this continuity relative to my neighbor who is on the right side of this continuity. But this is not the objective of the paper. I mean, this is like a, an important ingredient, but it's not the objective of the paper. The objective of the paper, we have mentioned it a couple of times already, with respect to the knowledge exchange, which is the citations that these uh, scientists in this like uh, philosophical transactions of the Royal Society of London journal at the time were making of each other, how do you estimate this? So we're talking about the change in the citation activity caused by the So it's like a a panel data set of of inventors or a panel data set of post towns. Uh, Is this like akin akin to a difference in difference estimation or? Yeah, it's a a difference in difference estimation. So once we have located the inventors or scientists, we aggregate everything to the closest post town because all the cost measures are, are post town based. So that's where that's where the cost changes. That's why we also thought this is a good way to aggregate things. And so once we aggregated that in the citation data case, as I said, it's bilateral data. So an, one observation is a pair of post towns, and we observe them before and after. So we have data for every single year, but we thought it's better if we pool things and have just a pre and a post period. And, and yeah, it just works better that way. And so that it's a classic difference in that case. So it's a, a pair of, a, of towns, right? Mm-hmm. And then there is a time dimension in that there is a, like a pre-period and a post-period. And then, you know, the two sets of dummies, okay, for the pair and for the post-period, and then the interaction between the post-period and how expensive it was uh, to send a letter in the pre-period. Well, so the nice thing here is that we can control for additional things because the, it's dyadic data. And dyad is just another word for pair. So the, the, I think the most convincing specification is the one where we even include a diet fixed effect. So we control for every bit of time invariant variation that is specific to a certain pair. 
And I think that the fact that we still find something after controlling for that is quite striking. So in just to reinforce the point that you were just now making, the fact that you put the dyad or pair fix effect means that any type of effect of a certain town becoming better connected in other ways to travel costs or something to the rest of the country, that will be controlled for because we are isolating here. You know, the specific, the specific mm-hmm. change with respect to another specific city or, or post town, right? Yeah, that's correct. So I have a, a couple of questions with respect to this regression. The first one goes back to what I was mentioning earlier, which has to do uh, with the location of the inventors. Specifically, is it possible that uh, there were some inventors that were located in London, but after 1840, they said, wait a second, I don't need to be in London anymore. Uh, in order to gain access to these other scientists, let me go back to my hometown where I have more space, you know, and uh, uh, the children need a garden or something. And, and therefore, I can still keep informed of what is going on from there. That would be like a, a type of effect that wouldn't be taking place if your main mechanism was not taking place. But this type of like, a, you know, endogenous mobility of the inventors would potentially mm-hmm. be inflating a little bit your estimates. Yeah. But I, I think we're like very conservative when it comes to all the, like all the other things basically point in, in the, the wrong direction, basically making our estimates smaller. So we see that in the data that especially when the inventors or the scientists get older, they tend to move to the countryside. And that's also facilitated by the reform course. But it's not that huge. My second question is with respect to the exclusion of London from this from this regression, why do you exclude it? Because the way that you, said that, that you justify it is, well, if I'm in London, that's not going to affect me anymore, you know? But this will be in some sense like saying, I have, you know, some type of shock and I'm throwing half of the observations because for these ones, I expect that the effect is going to be zero. I only want to look at the observations for which I think that there is going to be an effect. <laughs> you know, that seems a little bit like, yeah, I, I, somehow that doesn't sound quite right. I, I think it's it's right. So London is just very different from the rest of uh, the UK at the time. It, it's a lot more advanced. Like I said, they had three deliveries per day just within London. So the, the, way different than anything else around it. And uh, yeah, and the cost was quite low before the reform already. So like I said, within the city of London, it was just two pence. And if you were outside and on the countryside outside of London, it was only three pence. So it's not a huge change. And we only exclude pairs that are within London County. So we still have connections, London, Edinburgh, that, that's all in there. I see. It's I just see. within London because we I say see. it's special and the change isn't very big. I see. So only the pairs in which both post towns or post yeah. offices are in London. Yeah. And uh, one technicality on that is also because the, the density of the post towns there is a lot higher, just more people living there. So. so what do you find with respect to this regression? We find that citations do indeed go up because of the reform. So depending on whether you look at the entire, uh, entire Great Britain or whether you only look at England and Wales, it goes, and, and uh, maybe I should start with how to interpret that because that's a bit different a bit difficult so if we look at the difference between the average pair and compare that to the, the lowest cost pair and we would assume that the average pair becomes the low cost pair the lowest cost pair 
then that would lead to an increase in citations of about 1.3 to 1.8 if we look at England, Wales, Scotland. And if we only look at England and Wales, then it's between 2.5 and 2.9. So well, what does that mean? That means that the, the, the average post town doesn't have a lot of citations, so it's close to zero. So it, it, it's a meaningful increase. So the second type of evidence is one in which you put the number of patents in a post town on the left-hand side. You have already alluded to this, but can you be more specific about what type of regression you run here? So, like I said, the number of patents at the post-town level are on the left-hand side. On the right-hand side, we control for everything um, that could possibly affect patenting, of course. So we have the entire road network taken care of, so the, the roads, the canals, the ship routes, and Basically, navigating through that network is taken care of by using the travel cost and using the elasticities we estimated earlier. We, we have population in there to control for a, a post-house population. We have that regular market access measure in there. And then the variable of interest, of course, is the letter market access measure and in particular the change of the letter market access measure. And so basically it's a different diff as well. And the letter, the change in letter market access is really what we're interested in. Can you repeat what the letter market access is? Yeah. Um, so it works like a regular market access measure, just that the cost, instead of the instead of trade or travel cost, we use the postage. So it's still, it's kind of like a population and cost-weighted average of reaching everyone else in a certain area. So here, as we have mentioned several times before, it's critical to uh, control for the market access that is based upon the physical travel costs, correct? Mm -hmm. Because obviously they are going to be both strongly correlated with each other in that we will expect that both of them will have gone down during this period uh, in which England was making a lot of new roads or is becoming cheaper or whatever to travel and so on. What happens if you don't have this measure being perfectly uh, calculated? Because you are obviously like estimating it from a previous regression. There's a certain uh, amount of uh, you know uncertainty around this estimate. Anyway, it's not it's not that clear that when you measure distance along all these routes that you have, the distances are comparable. I don't know. For instance, England is not very hilly, but I presume that there are some roads that are that are steeper than others. Therefore, there is going to take longer, you know, to. Or there are roads that are passing through swamps, you know. There are some roads that have bandits. I don't know, you know. <laughs> you expect that this measure is being computed with a certain amount of error. Of course, yeah. If you don't compute it perfectly, does that mean that the error remains in the control and then it's positively correlated with the letter market access or...? I think the fixed effects also help us in that case. So we have post on fixed effects in there. So And that is controlling for the time invariant element of what I just said. Yes. What do you find with this regression? We find that patenting also goes up. And in this case, a one standard deviation grade improvement in letter market access leads to an additional 0.075 to 0.114 patents, or easier said is about a 2 to 3% increase in the average number of patents. So that doesn't sound like a lot, but it's also, I, I think it's yeah, a significant increase. Are these patents economically meaningful? Like my, my instinct would be yes, 
because inventions in Britain during the 19th century. I mean, it's difficult to think of an area that is, you know, an, uh, an area and a period in time in which inventions have transformed the economic fortunes of the world as much as Britain in, the, in that period. But, but are these patterns that, I mean, is steam, the, the watch steam machine in there, for instance, or potentially not that, but the equivalent of this, are these patterns things that one will recognize, or at least some of them? There, there are useful inventions in there that are patented. So it's not not just uh, someone invented a new pencil or something like that. So it's it's meaningful. Anything that I have not mentioned you want to add? We're working on a theoretical model to give the entire thing more structure so that what we estimate is perhaps more useful um, and more comparable to now, like recent times today. But still exploiting this shock? Yes. The reason why other studies and also our study uses historical data is simply because the only two alternatives are you travel or you send a letter. And that way we can isolate what happens um, to exchanging letters and how, how does a postage decrease affect innovation. And of, of course, we're not, we, we're not going to be able to do that um, in a modern setting where you can like, schedule a Zoom meeting or fly around the world or exchange emails and, and whatnot. So it's kind of a unique setting. And it's probably also the, the latest possible setting because then you have the, with the telegraph coming in. So I think it's pretty much the, the ideal setting to study exactly that, the change of a single communication. Wonderful, Martin. Thank you for coming to the podcast. Thanks a lot for this great opportunity. Please visit our website, thevisiblehand.uk, for links to the other papers that we discussed, introductory music and logo by Aitana Blanesiso, episode produced by Anderson Tan.